When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to What the Fab, a fan's first sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I'm here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that strives to demystify this wonderful game a bit while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC mainframe. Today, we're looking at some league-wide trends, plus talking mid-season management with Jason Collette, who you know from his great work at Rotowire and the Sleeper in the Bust. He is always sharing awesome data on Twitter. You should follow him at Jason Collette. Welcome to What the Fab, Jason. Sarah, thanks for having me. How are you? I am doing really well. How are you doing today? Uh, doing well. Son graduated high school. Uh, so it's like a reminder how old I am. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, he graduated high school today, which was awesome. One down, one to go. Uh, and so it's, it's just kicking off uh, vacation week. You and I were talking before uh, we pressed record. I don't go back to work until uh, the 20th. So it's like I haven't had this much time off in a while. So it's a nice way to start the week and heading down to Florida to go see some family here uh, middle of the week. So this oh, that's is all awesome. I'm doing. I made that's this is the only thing I made an exception for on vacation is your podcast because you came on ours a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that's so kind of you. I really appreciate you making an, a, an exception to hang out with me here on What the Fab. We will uh, get you in and out of here under an hour, but we've got a lot of news and notes to talk about. And before I jump in on some of these injury update items and returns, I just have to ask, were you in on Ellie De La Cruz, Fabapalooza this weekend, or were you out? Uh, I've already spent a bunch of my money. I tried, but they weren't even close. Uh, so it's like I have been progressively spending money throughout, and it's worked. I mean, in the four NFBC leagues that I'm in, I'm second, second, third, and sixth. Uh, the sixth is in the Rotowire OC, but I've been progressively spending. And in that league, I've had a ton of injury. I mean, I know everybody's got injuries, but it's like in, in that league, four of my, my top pitchers, Robbie Ray, gone for the year. Carlos Rodon, what is he throwing an inning? Uh, Doval of Fine and Fairbanks. Those are my first four pitchers. So I've had nothing. So I'm somehow I'm still in sixth place. Uh, and, and then like, like I've lost Woodruff, it, like I'll, I forget, but I've had a lot of problems in that league. At one point I had five guys in the IL within a week and a half. So, uh, but I, I, I spent the money and it reminded me of last year when O'Neill Cruz, I, I know when he finally came up, you know, people were like, Oh, I'm going to spend the money. And there were definitely, there were some definite ups, but there were a lot of downs. Uh, I remember somehow somebody drafted O'Neill Cruz. And so I, about a month before he got called up, I got him for $3 uh, and that was fun. Uh, but again, I, the, the ups and downs are a little easier to deal with when you're spending $3 on fab. Um, you know, I saw some people pushing six, six ten. I think was the highest bid. That's going to be, you know, he's in the lineup every day. It's going to be fun. But you know, when you're committing 60% of your budget and you probably blew through a lot of what you had left to get that. Um, we still have like 58% of the season left. So it's, it could get ugly down the stretch. 
Yeah, I put some bids down that I thought were sizable given where we're at and how much fab I have left. I have about 450 to 600, depending on the league. And so I was throwing down like basically two, 250. And I didn't think I would get in for that, but I thought, you know, I might get lucky big spenders in some of my, some of my leagues, whatever. And I was not close. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was blown out of the water on those bids. And my personal favorite uh, in Tout Wars, I had $530 of fab left going into last night. Matt Truss put 531 down for Ellie De La Cruz and I DM'd him right after the fact. He's like, I can't let you have Ellie and Matt McLean. And so he's got like $17 of fab left for the season, but I did not get both Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McLean in Tout Wars. We'll see how that works out. Matt's actually going to join me here next week to talk through that and more with Tout Wars. But 531, man, that's a that's a hefty bid for a 12 team league. That's a hefty. And at least you didn't at least you didn't spend your money on Corey Abbott. Uh, I like did not. other people apparently did <laughs> thinking that was Andrew Abbott's proper first name or something, but wow. <laughs> no, I did not spend my money on Corey Abbott. I did get a handful of shares of AJ Smith Shaver, who I'm pretty intrigued by. We're going to talk about him mm-hmm. in a little bit. And I got him for cheaper than I thought I would. You know, I, I wasn't sure about the innings concerns, but I thought if he gives you 50 or 60 good innings this year, the Braves kind of need him to make those starts in their rotation. And he didn't look overmatched for a 20 year old kid who started the year in high A ball. He looked okay to me uh, when he made his first start. So I, I got him for 24 to 48 in a handful of leagues. And, and I'll take that. I, I, you know, I've been getting the second, third order on the waterfall these days. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I got him in one. I only bid in one league and I ended up getting, I was kind of surprised uh, because last week I missed on him in another league and uh yeah, I got him this week, so we'll see what happens. And like I said, we're going to talk about him. So let's uh, let's see what happens. Yeah, let's jump right in here for these injury updates and returns. I try to keep this 10 to 15 minutes, and every week it feels like it goes longer than that because there's just been a lot of injuries New this season. <laughs> for real. Uh, starting with the Dodgers, we thought Julio Arias might make a start over the weekend. He most certainly did not. It seems like he's going to need a rehab start, which to my mind means that both Bobby Miller and Michael Grove are sticking in the rotation with Noah Syndergaard. On the IL, you and I talked about Bobby Miller when he came up. We shared some injury concerns. I, I'm kind of eating a little bit of crow on that one. He looks incredible mm-hmm. and like the real deal. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm kind of liking Michael Grove though too. He seems like he might just be a solid use of innings, and you probably didn't have to spend one twentieth as much as you had to spend on Bobby Miller to get him. Yeah, so I saw you would be both on Bobby Miller. By the way, when you were on our podcast, you know, we talked about him, and I you know, was worried about workload concerns, and uh, <laughs> like he's come up and like, ah, n- never mind, I'll just do what I'm doing, uh, like every other Miller that's come up this year. That you know, I <laughs> I saw Michael Grove pitch in spring training. I I remember making the comment to somebody, if you can give me Gavin Stone's changeup and Mike and Michael Grove's the rest of his repertoire, you'd have a really great pitcher. Uh, and so I watched him pitch, uh, I think, four innings in a spring training game and was you know, fastball was impressive. Slider was impressive. Off speed was not. Uh, like I said, given Gavin Stone's changeup and oh, wow, this looks really good. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm intrigued. Like I have him in XFL. So an 18 team mixed league, I have him and he's in my lineup this week. Uh, yeah, I'm chase- I'm trying to chase down. I'm second place trying to chase down Steve Gardner and Ian Khan. Uh, and I'm going with nine starters this week. I'm leading the league by 12 saves. I'm taking a week where I'm benching uh, Emmanuel Classe and Felix Bautista, and I'm going nine starters. Uh, and Grove is one of those guys that I'm putting in this week. Uh, hopefully he'll get enough uh, uh, enough workload so it'll be uh, worth my time. But I'm looking at it like, hey, I can get some strikeouts out of this. I can do a couple of things. So let's get rocking on it. 
Yeah, I've got him in a couple of places too, and I'm starting him everywhere that I've got him. I've got him in, those are 15 teamers for the record, not 12 teamers. And they're 15 teamers where I'm kind of in that situation where I need strikeouts and I need wins more than I need ratios at the moment. So I'm not terribly worried if he gets blown up, uh, but I would like, I would just like the volume and I wanted to add to that. Um, Yeah, speaking of volume, I know the most recent outing he had, he came in, Victor Rodriguez uh, opened, uh, like, third batter and then Grove came in and, and followed that up. Uh, and I think he worked four innings in, in the last outing. Like I said, I, I did not see him pitch in the most recent, but I saw, I walked away impressed with what I saw in the spring, you know, with the caveat that there are definitely some warts. And if he gets into a lineup that has a bunch of lefties, if he gets stacked to lefties, that could hurt just like yeah. it would, just like it does for stone when they, when they just load them up on righties. That's so true. And it's interesting what you said about him getting that sort of like after the opener bulk guy role. I I was just talking um, last week with Adam Howe about if you could predict those bulk guys, they'd actually be pretty valuable. I mean, Reese Olsen is another one who's getting some of that opener and then bulk guy treatment. And those are the dudes who are going to get the wins for you if they can make it that far. So um, I'm, I'm intrigued by Grove in that role. I'm intrigued by Olsen in that role too. I don't know that this next guy on our list is going to have an opener, but it seems to be starting. AJ Smith Shaver is 20 years old. He started pitching full-time when he was in high school. He was known as the star quarterback for Colleyville's football team back in the day. And he went from high A all the way through triple A to starting games for the Atlanta Braves this year. That's honestly incredible. I like, and I mean that in the truest sense of the word. (laughs) It absolutely, it absolutely is. I mean, and when you look at when you look at what he did, you know, for those who are unfamiliar th- with his numbers last year, they were absurd. I mean, he struck out 103 in 68.2 innings, and, and that's for a guy who just started pitching in high school. Uh, and so, you know, this year in the minors across the minors, struck out 45 and 33 innings uh, with it. it. The one thing that stands out. So when he's worked up here at the major league level, he came in and worked relief in his first. I was looking at this because I was want to make sure that we're avoiding a Bobby Miller situation. We're like, oh, workload, right? So you look, he threw 39 pitches in his first outing, but then he had to start the other day against Cincinnati, faced 20 batters and threw 86 pitches. So I went back in the minor league and I was like, okay, show me what he did in the minor league. And his pitch counts went anywhere on the low end. He had a relief outing when he got when he got right up to double A and he only went two innings, but everything else has been 73 to 86. Uh, the two really... Uh, the jumps he had the again that major league debut 39 pitches the the double a debut 36 pitches but everything else has been 73 to 86 pitches so that seems to be his and batter's face when i look at one of his batter's face he actually went 27 batter's face so he went three full times to the durham bulls lineup uh and took the l uh a tough l seven innings four hits three walks eight strikeouts and he took the loss in that game uh, so he's been out there working, and so with a bulk, it'd be awesome if he had one because eighty-six. It's tough to get. It's tough to get decisions, and he got yeah. he had two wins and a loss uh, in the minor leagues. But it's really tough to get decisions when your pitch counts below ninety. Uh, and so if if Atlanta said, "Hey, you know, AJ Minter, go open," you're not doing much else, uh, but you know something else along those lines, go out there and get the first couple, and let's bring the kid in. Then that becomes attractive because again, you know, he can do three, four innings, do well. Uh, and especially with that Atlanta offense. And then he's in position for a win. Yeah, I think that would be an awesome way for them to use him. I'm really just intrigued to see how he does. He doesn't seem to have any 
fear under the bright lights. Like I know if I was 20 years old, I started the season at high am all of a sudden pitching for the first place Atlanta Braves. That would probably freak me out a little bit, but it doesn't seem to freak him out at all. It's been really fun to watch. And the thing about the Braves is that they are not an organization that shies away from letting talented guys jump levels and just That's see right. what they can do. Right. Like they did it with Michael Harris uh, last year. They did it with Spencer Strider. And so I think AJ Smith Chauver is going to get some run here if he can earn it. Yeah, I agree. They do a phenomenal job of rewarding talent. Like if you show the talent, you get the opportunity and they give you like, okay, you're ready for this? Go. You're ready for this? Go. Uh, and they've got a great track record, uh, track record for it. I remember years ago, uh, interviewed Matt Moore when he, when he, back when he was a prospect uh, and he pitched in the all-star game, uh, the minor league, all the, the rising stars game. And we asked him about like, Hey, what was it like for the first time to pitch in a, in a stadium where they had a third and fourth level? Cause the minor league is like, like I said, he opened the season at Bowling Green uh, and you know, minor league stadiums are lucky if they have two levels at that level. And most of the time it's the press box. And all of a sudden now he's in Atlanta that has five levels, uh, you know, the first, the 100 to 200, the suite levels, uh, four, you know, so they've got all their levels and all of a sudden you're like standing on the mound. I'm not even old enough to drink yet legally. And here I am pitching in front of 40,000 people. It's, it's, you know, kudos to him for, uh, not wet in his pants. I mean. Right. right. Uh, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Best of luck. I'm, I'm going to watch a lot of those starts. I'm excited about it. Um, for the Red Sox, Chris Sale, who I have joked before on this podcast, should just come with a big old fragile sign on him, has hit the 60-day IL again. And this was wild to me because Alex Cora made it sound like it was not going to be a big deal. And the next thing you knew, Sale was on the 60-day IL. Uh, that opens an opportunity for Cutter Crawford, who it looks like is going to get a chance to make a start on Tuesday. Any interest in Cutter Crawford beyond this rocky start in Boston? Yeah, so I Cutter Crawford's changed his mechanics this year, and that's been one of the things that's been attractive. Uh, anytime a guy changes his mechanics, you can find some short-term success uh, for him. And so it, I was talking to somebody, I forgot, I would love to give credit for this. Maybe it was Paul Sporer. Uh, but it looks like when you watch Cutter Crawford pitch this year, it's almost like your video's buffering because he, he's taken that that Lucas Giolito short arm swing and he's like shaking and, and then he throws it. And he used to be a guy that would drop down and come all the way back and around. So he's changed that arm action uh, and he's had some success. Uh, I've watched him pitch and, and guys are getting tougher swings are having a tougher time uh, squaring him up than they had previously. I know the numbers can be inconsistent with him, but yes, I'm, I'm using him in at least one league this week where he's facing Colorado in Boston. Uh, you know, we know what Colorado's their home road splits. And so, and Boston scores well at home. Uh, and so if we can get a squeeze a win out of Cutter Crawford with the good matchup and the good offensive support at home, let's, let's go for it. Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on him. I've got um, some other Red Sox starters, Garrett Whitlock and Brian Bello, Bayo in a couple of places. I always do that. Uh, Bayo, Bello. Um, the <laughs> Speaking phonetically instead of the way the dude's name is pronounced, I should know better. Um, but I, I'm curious to see how Crawford does, because if those mechanics, like he said, turn into some success for him, I think that he could be an interesting dude, at least for streaming purposes, if not for some more starts over the course of the season. Um Heading to my team, the Chicago Cubs, which they are just killing me right now. And one of the reasons they're killing me is the lack of information you get with them. Uh, Cody Bellinger just keeps getting pushed back on the injured list. I'm old enough to remember when he wasn't even going to need time on the IL a month ago. Uh, and Seiya Suzuki is currently day-to-day, -day, and they will not disclose what's going on there at all. 
Are you concerned about the Seiya Suzuki thing? I think this reads like he is going to be on the 15-day IL pretty soon, but I don't want to quote anybody on that. David Ross literally wouldn't comment on it in the last two games. If I recall last year as a, somebody who had Suzuki on a few teams, I want to say that's exactly what happened early on. It was like, oh, he's fine. He just needs it. We're going to go day to day. And then like a day five, they're like, yeah, we're going to put him on the IL. And oh, it wasn't just a back, like he'll be back in five. You know, he went on day five and he'll be back in five days. No, it took some time. And so, yeah, it can be maddening when teams aren't as forthright with injuries uh, you know, when, they, when they try to do that. Uh, you know, my team, Tampa Bay, is better these days. They used to be more you know, opaque with their stuff and like, Oh, he's fine. All of a sudden like, uh, he's not. And, you know, Brandon Lau a little bit, they kept saying it wasn't last year's back problem. It wasn't last year's back problem that he went on the IL with a herniated disc, which is what last year's back problem was. And so that's unfortunate. Uh, I would say with the, with you know, guys like that, it's almost to the point where, uh, you know, I saw I was in Anaheim last week, saw your Cubs play uh, and saw Suzuki on the field uh, and you know looked fine on that. But that was Wednesday. Uh, and I don't know what what's happened in between uh, then. And I don't remember any particular event in that game that would have, um, you know, led to anything uh, with that. But it, it does, does stink uh, that's when they when they drag it out, because now you're like, OK, you know, NFBC, you can at least sit them this early scoring period. Right. But if you're in a weekly scoring period, you're like, you're probably rolling them out there. Uh, you know, in your NL league, you kind of have to. Uh, and so it, it kind of stinks if they like tomorrow, be like, ah, we're going to go ahead and put them in the IL. Like, gee, thanks. I think the thing that really worries me about this one is that they won't even comment what it's about. They're like, he's dealing with some things. We're giving him a day off that turned into two days off. And now there's an off day. And so you won't even have that information until Tuesday, which really limits, even in the NFBC, it limits who you could possibly replace him with. You'd need another outfielder that was available Tuesday evening that you could slot in who didn't play on Monday. I just, I, uh, I made my fab bids accordingly this weekend and I look sure. for alternatives in the outfield. And if I can slot him back in on Friday, that's great. Cause he's been, he's been hot right now, but I do think this opens up some playing time opportunities for Christopher Morrell, who has gotten some sporadic playing time lately and for Mike Taukman to just continue to do his thing. And Mike Taukman has not sucked in his time with the Cubs. Long live Mike Talkman. Uh, yeah, Alex Chamberlain is the first guy that ever put me on to Mike Talkman. It was like, I love this guy. And this is when he was in the minor leagues uh, in the Yankee organization. So he even has, you know, you go out to uh, Arizona and Alex is usually wearing a Mike Talkman jersey. Uh, and so it's like, <laughs> oh, it's easy to, oh, that's Alex. How do you know? Because nobody else in the world has a Mike Talkman uh, jersey. Right. Uh, but yeah, he has, he's played good defense too. I never thought he could be a center fielder, but he's actually looked good out in center field and he's hitting leadoff because he's got those skills. I mean, he's always been a guy and now he's out of options. So you know, it's good for him for getting a chance of making the most of it. Heading to the other side of town, uh, the White Sox blew two, uh, not one, but two ninth inning leads over the course of the weekend. And now Liam Hendricks is on the IL uh, with, it sounds like a forearm straight. I really hate this for Liam Hendricks. It was such a great story to have him come back, but the White Sox don't appear to have a ninth inning solution. It looks like Joe Kelly gave up one of those games. Uh, Kendall Graveman gave up the other one. Part of this could just be that the Marlins are actually better than we think they are. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but the Marlins are actually kind of fun. However, this White Sox closer situation looks bleak. It's a hot mess. Uh, and and that whole organization's a hot mess this year. I mean, this was the, this was the team you looked at it. This should have been the prohibitive favorite to win the division. Uh, and Tim Anderson and Andrew Benintendi have as many home runs as you and me combined this year uh, <laughs> at this point. And that's, you know, that's unfortunate. Yoan Mankata uh, had a good opening week and then since has been absolutely abysmal. 
to the point like he's riding my bench in that aforementioned 18 team league. Like he's just riding the bench. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, he shows some signs of life uh, at that point. But yeah, the, I mean, I don't know what you're going to do. Joe Kelly at one point looked phenomenal. And this is reliever volatility because over, over the last week and a half, he's had, I believe, two blow ups. He had the blow up most recently yesterday, but then last week had another one. So he's had two major blow ups. And then early on, Ronaldo Lopez was supposed to be that guy. And then he was having blow up after blow up after blow up. Then he started getting a little better Then Kenyon Middleton was getting a little, little better, but everybody, every single one of these guys has had a blow up. Kendall Graveman, I, I would say until yesterday was looking the best of that. And then he had a blow up yesterday. So I, whatever. I mean, this, this organization, I, I feel like I'm channeling my good friend, Craig. Uh, it's like, he is so, this is his favorite team. Uh, and he's like, I'm done. I, I, I can't fire everybody. Uh, and I look at this and it's like, wow. And I, I, this is something I live in North Carolina and we have three of their affiliates here. We have um, low A, high A and triple A. Uh, and there's not much help coming. <laughs> I'm just, no, just getting me there's... All heads up. there's not much help coming up. Noah Schultz is about the best guy that I've seen. Uh, and I've been to uh, a number of Kannapolis and Charlotte games this year. Uh, but Noah Schultz just made his low A debut. So he ain't coming this year. Yeah, there's not much help coming. I went to Saturday's game and was hanging out with my friend Danny Rocket, who I host a Cubs pod with. And he was like, well, maybe the White Sox will want to trade the Cubs for some talent. I'm like, they have nothing to trade. They have nothing to trade. And they've just kind of imploded here in the heart of their window. And honestly, like it is it is bleak baseball times uh, in Chicago yeah. on the north side and the south side of the city. Um, another place where offense hasn't been great so far. The Guardians lost Andres Jimenez. It sounds like he got pulled for a leg, lower leg injury. Still day-to-day, um, are you playing Andres Jimenez anywhere this week or are you trying to sit him? Um, yeah, I have him in one league and I left him in the lineup. Uh, with day-to-day, I didn't really have a better option. That was really what it came down to. Uh, I know offense has been problematic for Cleveland over the whole, but recently they're showing signs of life. Like, uh, you know, Josh Naylor's been driving in. Whatever runs Cleveland has, he's driving them in. Josh Bell's been a major disappointment, but Josh Bell has actually shown some signs of life here recently. They keep hitting him fourth or fifth in the lineup because they don't have much else to uh, to try out. I did watch that game, uh, that 14 inning affair, but I, I, I quit in the 13th inning. I just couldn't do it anymore. It's like, <laughs> you, you've got the Manfred man. You still can't, you, they, the couple innings that even played the Manfred man. It's like, oh, come on. Uh, and so, yeah, they're showing signs of life. I like Will Brennan in a platoon situation. Uh, but that's that's really it. I mean, they're, the pitching-wise, it's, it's, it's a weird team. Like, again, I thought they and the White Sox would be neck-and-neck neck competing. Uh, and, yeah, they're both technically still in it because the Central is that bad. Um, you know, uh, the Twins are leading it, and they're not even over 500. At one point, they were leading it, and they were below 500. Uh, so I, this team could still rise to the cop. They just got Tristan McKenzie back. But offensively, they need it. I mean, Jimenez has been a disappointment this year compared to what he did last year. I mean, he was awesome last year when you got him in the late. I want to say if you most people were drafting him 19th, 21st round. I remember him going late. I picked him up in multiple places and loved it. Um, what comes up must come down, but I don't think any of us saw him coming down this much. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, speaking of Will Brennan, that's who I picked up in a lot of places this weekend when I did not get Ellie De La Cruz. So my $24 Will, Will Brennan is what I got instead. And we'll see if he can stay hot because that would help me out a lot. Speaking of another guy who is almost irreplaceable. Uh, Houston's losing Jordan Alvarez to an oblique issue. And I absolutely hate this. I love watching Jordan hit. He is one of my favorite players to watch. Certainly my favorite Astro to watch. Um, I mean, I, more playing time for Mauricio Dubon, I guess, but I, 
I just, I don't even know how you go about replacing your Don if you have him in a lineup, which I do in an auction championship. Yeah. And that's why actually I don't have him anywhere this year. And I had him in two last year. He was my first round pick in two leagues. Uh, one of the ones I won. Uh, so, you know, it, it was awesome. But this year, you know, at the peak of draft season, there was all that news uh, is his foot okay. So, and he was sliding a little bit. Uh, and I was picking in the eighth spot. And this year I took Otani in both those leagues uh, with that with that pick. But And that's one of the reasons why that aforementioned Astros-Guardians game took so long because there was no there was no Alvarez in that lineup to drive those guys in. Uh, it's, it's ironic that Jose Abreu was – finally hit his second and third home runs of the season uh, since uh, Alvarez has been out. You, know, you mentioned you took Will Brennan as your backup to De La Cruz. I took Corey Jelks. You know, I'm, I'm just looking to try to find some playing time uh, in this situation when guys are working out and Jelks has had his moments. They hit second yesterday, but when he's in the lineup, he's usually hitting down in the lineup. Uh, as somebody who has Dubon and AL Labor, uh, and he was my first bad pickup of the year. Best two dollars I've spent all year. Uh, so it was uh, what happens when I lost Dylan Moore to injury uh, on that, and so it's, it'd be good for him to get the playing time. But then I just see you know jokes. I would I would just keep trying to pick darts because this kind of injury I wouldn't expect Alvarez back until after the All Star break. I, you do not want to rush the bleaks. You just don't uh, because you can re-injure him just like that. Yeah, Jolks versus Dubon is really interesting because with Dubon, you're getting the average and he's definitely getting on base enough that you're getting some of the counting stats, but doesn't really have any power and he doesn't really steal any bases. With Corey Jolks, you're getting kind of the opposite. You're getting a potential for power, potential for stolen bases, but you're not getting that average hit and he's not on base nearly as much. It's weird because you know, Dubon ran a bunch in the minors and he still has he still has good speed. He just does not run. <laughs> run. I know I need him to run. I've got I, I picked him up cheap early too because there were just no guys in the middle infield early on in this year. It felt like when yes. Seeger went down and when some of the other shorts like high powered shortstops went down, I was just looking for any type of replacement. And Dubon is who I wound up with in a bunch of places. Him and Edmundo Sosa um were saving me early on this season. Let's finish up with the A uh the NL East here. The Mets lost. Pete Alonso uh, to a wrist, in wrist injury. And what I cannot figure out with the Mets, this should be Mark Vientos o'clock. Like Mark Vientos should play every day while Pete Alonso is out and he should get a chance to see what he can do. And instead it kind of looks like they've got Mark Canna for some days and they're playing Tommy Pham some more. And I just send Mark Vientos back to AAA if he's not going to play. Like, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. And as somebody who lives in a AAA city, I would love for Syracuse to come back through here so I can watch more Mark Vientos. I got to see him play a couple of times last year. Uh, and so I saw Francisco Alvarez and Mark Vientos come through here in Charlotte um, and, and play a series. And they, they were easily the two best guys in the field. Uh, the, the ball jumps off their bats. And we're seeing that with Alvarez this year uh, as he's got, what, 12 home runs that's being called up. Uh, we're not seeing it with Vientos only because they're not, as you said, they're not giving him the playing time. He said three, he hit uh, ninth three different times this week, um, and he sat on Saturday. But you know, why is he not a, out in the lineup every single day? I don't understand because he's got a lot of he's got a, the athleticism, uh, and yeah, there's some flaws in everything, but he has the athleticism. This is a team that's struggling to put up offense on a nightly basis. I mean, I do, you know, uh, I do like Tommy Pham. Uh, they need to figure out they've hit. I'm looking at lineups. They've hit Bam third, fifth, and seventh uh, and recently. They got in his like his expected woba lately is one of the best in baseball. And uh, so when Tommy Pham gets on a heater, it's nice. But you know, overall, this team can't get. They're not. They don't have multiple guys on hot streaks. That's the problem. You got one guy who can carry a little bit, but you need to have keep the train moving, and they're not. 
Well, and it seems like Alvarez really had to like fight for that playing time and a bunch of injuries had to happen at once for him to get going and get the everyday job. And once he got the everyday job, he was great. Like at the early start of the season, he was batting like 180, 190. He was really struggling when he wasn't getting any playing time. As soon as he got the playing time, Alvarez has been exceptional. Like I actually have him in an auto new league where I am currently in a terrible situation because he's playing too much. Like, cause mm-hmm. in Adonu, you have two catcher spots and they can only yeah. total 162 games. So I had to pick up a third catcher so that I can try to like play matchups a little bit more. Cause otherwise I'm going to hit my catcher, any, my catcher limit way too soon. Wow. Um, but I just need Vientos to play. And it feels like Buck Walter is not going to be that guy. Now, one place where the kids are getting a chance to play uh, in Philadelphia, Cody Clemens has looked really good playing first base Alec Baum is out for a little bit with a hamstring injury, but Derek Hall is on a rehab assignment and Derek Hall was supposed to have this job ahead of Cody Clemens beforehand. And I just, I'm curious, are you any interest in Derek Hall? He should be back in the next couple of weeks. I mean, the power is definitely intriguing. Uh, Baum got reactivated late last night. So he's in tonight's line. He's yeah, my in, bad. On my he bad on Baum. Six, so he's back in the lineup for the first he got in the lineup yesterday hitting fifth and he's in there today hitting six. So he just got off the IL. Uh, and that they sent down Drew Ellis uh, to make room for that. So, yeah, Hall, I mean, the power is definitely intriguing. Uh, I know in one of my leagues, I'm desperate for power. So I would love for uh, I'm hoping Hall got cut so I can pick him up uh, and I need to go check. But, uh, yeah, the power is definitely intriguing. It's just a matter of how if Clemens is if if he's still hitting enough, does he get to keep the job? Uh, that type of thing. But he's still hitting at the bottom of the lineup, and it's, there's still a lot of platoon situation. You mentioned Sosa was one of your saviors, uh, and they still have Josh Harrison and Dalton Guthrie. So I mean, they're trying this platoon situation down at the bottom of the lineup uh, while they're still waiting for Trey Turner to be Trey Turner. Uh, and they obviously need more big news stories to motivate Nick Castellanos to hit home runs. Uh, yesterday, I mean, I don't want any more bridges collapsing, uh, but he did hit a home run yesterday when the just after the bridge news <laughs> was announced. So, you know, who knows what else? Can we have some non-human tragedy to motivate Castellanos to do more fun? Uh, that's a great note for us to take a quick break for our sponsors on. Hopefully there are no sponsors promoting uh, catastrophic events for Nick Castellanos, but you never know. On the flip side, uh, we're going to take a look at some of the research that Jason has been doing on stolen base rates, home run rates, uh, looking at some of the pitching situation this year. Jason sent some really great research on, we all feel it, like we all know that the pitching is not where it had been, but what does that really look like? But first, a quick break. All right, we're back. Let's start with, um, I love this. You've been tweeting it out periodically over the course of the season, tracking stolen stolen base and home run net rates by team. Mm -hmm. And you've really identified some teams here that I think do a ton of damage, but also some teams where you can do some streaming against them. So tell, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what this, what's going on with this research. Yeah. So I tend to tweet it out about every other week uh, on on a weekend and look at the, the way the chart goes. It has, the pitching, how many stolen bases the 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 pitcher catcher battery has allowed. Uh, so like I'll, I'll just start at the top of the chart because honestly it's it's the best story for me is Arizona. Uh, they are they have caught seventeen of forty attempted stolen base uh, stolen base attempts, and that is the best in baseball. Like they are really good. Gabriel Moreno has been back there just negating uh, the running game. This is one of the reasons why Arizona is doing well. Conversely, they are sixty two of seventy four on the bases themselves. And so that gives them a net of 44 on stolen bases. And then I look at home runs and they've allowed 74, they've hit 74. So it's a zero, uh, but they overall. So if when I combine the home runs and steals, that's a plus 44. 
And if I look, you know, we were talking about how bad the White Sox have been. The White Sox, uh, their stolen bases, they are they have allowed uh, 65 of 78 stolen bases. They have stolen 39 of 45. So that's a that's a net of negative 19. And then they have hit 21 fewer home runs than they've allowed. So they have a net of negative 40 across this. And this is one of the reasons why they, why they are bad. It's really tough to be a good team and have a bad net. You mentioned the Marlins earlier, and they're the exception. You go look at the Marlins, and they have the same net stolen base and home run as the A's. And I know the A's are hot right now. They've won five of six. They just swept Milwaukee. Um, but the the Marlins and the A's both have a negative 24 net stolen base home run. Uh, and so yeah, eventually that kind of stuff catches up with you because that's just more traffic on the bases. You know, you're giving you're giving the uh, opportunity the opponents more opportunity to score. And I have mentioned from a fantasy perspective, you look at the starting pitching ERA, it is up this year. It's not because there's more traffic on the bases. The you know, the whip is barely up. The whip's up about three percent this year, this time over this time last year. But ERA is up eight percent, and that's because there's more runners in scoring position. You look at the run expectancy matrix, and if you get the leadoff runner on the first, they move to second with nobody out. The chance of that runner scoring increases by twenty four percent. That's why you're seeing all these teams run more, and that's what we're at. that's where we're at. It's just it's not more traffic because all the defensive rules and all that that hasn't played out. You know, yeah, there's been Kevin Kiermeyer and Anthony Rizzo, and you know, a couple of guys are, are pull hitters are doing better batting average. But then conversely, the batting average to the opposite field has dropped about 80 points for lefties. And so it's been a wash. And so the league batting average really hasn't moved. The strikeout rate is actually a little bit up. You know, Saris wrote a good article about it lately. So it's, you know, it's it's just there's runners are in scoring position more frequently. And that is the biggest difference in the game this year. Eno's article blew my mind because I don't know what I was expecting the strikeout rate to do. I did not expect it to increase over the course of the season with all of the pitch clock changes and everything like that. But it does seem, and and your research really bears this out. And I think it's it's worth doing a dive into and taking a look at which teams are stopping the stolen bases and which teams are not. Because the teams that are benefiting from this, the teams that are getting those runners into scoring position and are scoring more are generally doing a lot more damage. But but the converse of that is there's a handful of teams that you can really just run on. Like you can just run on no matter what. And I think that any any team that is running catchers out there that have like a 1.9, 2.0 or pop time or higher, mm-hmm. those that's a go now zone with the bigger bases if you can get any kind of jump at all. Yeah, I mean, like the the Dodgers are easily the worst team. They have they have uh, caught nine of ninety one stolen base attempts. Nine, uh, I feel like Ferris Bueller. Nine, uh, so it is <laughs> nine times. And we've seen, you know, we saw Pittsburgh run wild on them. We saw Tampa Bay run wild on them. Uh, Milwaukee has caught twelve of sixty five. The Mets, ten. I mean, as as well as Francisco Alvarez has been at the plate behind it, he's terrible at throwing these guys out. They're ten of sixty six as as a team. So there are teams that you can look at. I mean, hmm, you know, it, it, look at it like a it's a what, another one of those decision points you have to make. Another input. And so it's like, okay, I've got these guys this week. Uh, this guy, you know, he may get four games. There's there's lefties, so he may sit a couple times. But they're facing one of these teams, and this guy likes to run. So I'm going to go ahead and leave him in the lineup because you know, the last thing you want to do is miss out on one of those two, three steals games uh, if one of these teams is going out there uh, having uh, having a ball running on the bases because they can almost run at will. I mean, look at the Giants. They're 11 of 65. I mean, there are plenty of matchups out there to take advantage of in a daily situation, but then even in a twice-weekly situation, we can look at it and be like, all right, they got the Dodgers this weekend. Uh, 
you know, Cindergard's on the IL, unfortunately, but there are certain matchups where you're like, I am taking that one. Cindergard, you just run. Uh, Christian Javier, as good as he is, he does not prevent runners. So uh, they usually have Martin Maldonado behind the plate when Javier is on the mound to help him out because Christian Javier is just like, I'm just going to pitch. I don't care uh, what ha- what happens. So, uh, yeah, this is that's why I start tracking his data because that's, that's one of the inputs I use when I'm setting my lineups myself. Yeah, it's super helpful. Make sure you're following Jason. Again, that's at Jason Collette on Twitter, where he's he's tweeting out this stuff. He's tweeting out all sorts of awesome data all the time. And I find it super helpful as I am going through making my fantasy decisions. I want to move into, um, you mentioned this as we were talking about it, but your article on starting pitching, we all sort of feel that the ERA is higher. We all, like, I, I can tell that I used to aim for like a 3.7-ish ERA or lower for my 15-teamers. That just seems like a pipe dream at the moment. Like I'm lucky if I have teams that are hanging out around 4.1 or 4.2 and there's nothing on the waiver wire that is going to help those ratios. Like I've just kind of had to start searching for Ks and whatnot instead. But you, you made an observation here about how that is different than what's happening with WHIP. And I think that's really important because the thing that I've noticed is like my whip and ERA are not tied to each other the same way that they had been in years past. I wonder if you can break down a little bit for people what is going on in terms of the extra runs that are coming in that are not correlated to the whip. So if we look at, if we look at league wide ERA uh, and so if I, you know, we can always look at relief. I, I, I like looking at starting pitching only uh, just to keep the, 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 reliever noise out of it. So in 2021, with all the, the, you know, our first full season back from COVID, all the injuries, people going in and out, all that. So starting pitching ERA as a whole for that particular season was 434. Uh, and that's really be, when it gets into the uh, the month. So I want to go in and just do March, April, uh, March, April, May, and June. So let's pull that out because sometimes you'll be getting that noise of the, uh, of the, the summer, you know, the summer is going to bake that stuff in and then, then we get ugly. So let me go back and, and take a look at that real quick here uh, and go to league instead of player. And so I know this makes great audio. So, all right, here we're looking at it and we get to starting pitcher ERA. Uh, and it's, you know, a couple of years ago we had, oh, come on, Fangraphs. Why are you going to slow it down on me now? Uh, here we go. All right, ERA. So uh, again, it was during that during that time split, it was just over just over four in 2021. Uh, we had we had four four eighteen for starting pitchers ERA in the middle of June 2021. We have four ten this time last year. We're at four forty two right now. Uh, and think about it. I mean, for the most part, weather as a whole has been cooler this year. I know it was like we just had all the Canadian fires. You, know, you can barely see the game, but weather in the most part has been cooler. Uh, it's it's still June. You know, here in Charlotte, we haven't hit ninety degrees yet, and that's highly unusual for the middle of June. But we haven't hit ninety degrees. But that's so we're seeing a four forty two ERA uh, this time. And so when I but I look over at WHIP and one twenty six, one twenty seven, and the past two seasons this time now it's one thirty one. So that's like a three percentage jump. Up. But the ERA is up eight. And again, it's, it's, this is why these teams are trying to run and get these guys in scoring position, just because you look at the run expectancy matrix and you get first and second, nobody out, you know, your run expectancy uh, is about one, one, six, one, seven. You get those guys a second and third, all of a sudden it's two, three. And it's like, it's, it's worth the squeeze. And, and the stolen bases are here to stay because the league wide stolen base success is actually going up. It was 82%. Uh, it's, it's been 82% here. So, uh, and it's, so we're, we're trending up. It's not going away. Teams 
are not able to slow this down. And I was talking about this uh, on uh, the XM uh, Saturday show. Uh, you, know, you can't correct this during the season. You just can't go find a catcher and be like, all right, I need you to start throwing one six pop times. I need you to be Gabriel Moreno. You can't do that. Development takes time. Uh, and so you may see, and from a, you know, from fantasy relevancy, you may start to see, and there's some good and bad with this, right? You could start seeing catchers who are good throwers get more playing time than their bat deserves. Like Martin Maldonado may have 475 plate appearances. Uh, and you may have to suck up that 190 average that he's probably going to end up hitting um, because he's back there and, and he can throw guys out. So I could see some of that emphasis here. At, maybe that's why Arizona made the trade to go get Moreno because they're like, I mean, they had Carson Kelly and Carson Kelly just came back off the aisle himself today. Um, so they already had a, a good catcher, but they went out and got a better one. Uh, and it's given them a nice situation uh, for uh, defensively, but they're not good. Teams can't fix this in season. This So this is the way it's going to be. And we could have, you know, 30 last year we had 2,800 stolen bases. I mean, there, there's a chance we could have 3,800 this year. Um, yeah, there's going to be a big old number. Well, a couple of, of notes here. I'm going to make this Cubs specific for a second, just because that's where I live. And so that's where I, that's where I can sort of, I can sort of speak from an area of expertise, but like the only solution you could have as a team is if you have a young, great catching talent that you wanted to call up who has better pop time, who is better in these new rules environment. And I think that's one of the things that the Cubs did with Miguel Amaya. Now I know their hands were forced there. I don't think they called up Miguel Amaya with the idea of like, Hey, this is going to help us in terms of controlling the running game. They had an injury and they had just let Luis trends go. And so they needed a backup catcher. But one of the reasons I think he came back when the Cubs lost a pitcher, it was such a weird call up. They lost a pitcher, put a pitcher on the IL and called up Miguel Amaya to be a third catcher. I think they recognized that he was controlling the running game and doing some really good work for them in addition to just being a much better hitter than Tucker Barnhart or Jan Gomes. Um, so there's that too. Uh, but I, I think that unless you have that solution in-house, unless you have that catcher solution in-house that you're willing to to elevate this year, you're absolutely right. That's not something that's going to change over the course of a season. Nope. Uh, and like I said, the league's going to continue to run on this and, and they're going to take care of it. I mean, the thing I was looking at pop times, uh, the uh, the pop time for uh, for Tucker Barnhart's one nine eight. The pop time for Young Gomes is two point zero. It's bad. It's real bad. That's, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's why. And Amaya, well, I mean, Amaya's one nine seven, and Torrens was one ninety. So it's like it's it's not great. Uh, they might so miss Wilson Contreras a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this is what it really comes down to. That puts the pressure on the pitchers. They got to be a little quicker to home plate because there's only, uh, you know, you, if you know that part of the equation, the, the the teams can do the algebra. You know, I it's going to take my guy this long to get second base, and we know that pop time's 2.03. If that pitcher's not 1.4 in his delivery, we're going. Uh, and Absolutely. it happens. The flip side of that, and the other thing I wanted to point out, you know, the Cubs were actually a pretty decent offense in March and April, and then it all slowed down in May and June. And as far as I can tell, the thing that stopped for them is they stopped running as much. They stopped trying to steal as many bases. Now, there were two reasons for that. One is they lost Nico Horner to a hamstring injury, and when he yep. came back, they decided Nico didn't have the green light all the time anymore because they didn't. I'm guessing they didn't want him to reaggravate that hamstring injury. And the other dude who had been stealing a ton of bags for them was Cody Bellinger. We just talked about the fact that Cody Bellinger uh, was on the not going to the IL, then 15 day IL, and now has been on the IL for over a month. And we may see Cody Bellinger at some point before the All Star break. Who knows? Um, but. I feel like that actually is hamstringing their offense a little bit because what you're pointing out here is that one of the differences between offenses that are really getting that ERA boost and or not ERA boost, but the run boost or not is their ability to steal bags. Everything else is kind of static. 
Indeed. I mean, if you, and that's so, you know, the tendencies are still there. But if you if you're taking out a Horner and you're taking out a Bellinger and you're putting in Patrick Wisdom, you know, you're putting in different guys that aren't going to run. It's going to inhibit your ability to score. Uh, if you have guys you know, taking walks to get the first and have are stationary because they can't move over. It's just it reduces your chances of scoring. So it is, um, you know, hopefully everybody gets back at some point here and they start running some guys. I have Nico Horner in one league and I would like to see him running more. Uh, so it's, uh, uh, but that's really what it comes down to when you're, when you're offense. And that's where it's like, that's why I like pulling up those numbers to look at it because you know, when you get to the postseason, you know, Arizona is going to be a nightmare matchup for somebody. If you're a team that whose offense is built on your running game and you run into Arizona in that first round, it's like, Ooh, I'm like, I'm trying to look at like a national league matchup of a team that, you know, let's say Milwaukee makes it up. Milwaukee is 58 of 71 stealing bases. You run into that and all of a sudden it's like, eh, you know, Pittsburgh, let's say they make it. They're 70 of 91. They rely a lot on the stolen base. You go up against Arizona, all of a sudden it's tough to steal those bases. Then what are you going to do? What if they get all the way to the world series and they're matched up against my favorite team who has 86 stolen bases to lead all of baseball. And all of a sudden the Rays can't steal bases because Arizona's not letting them do it. Well, how's that offense going to look? So it is definitely a weapon. It's definitely something teams are going to start looking at more often. And we're going to have to account for it in fantasy because we may see catchers, especially once pitch framing goes away, when we get more automatic balls and strikes, it's can you hit or can you throw? And how much can, how much, you know, we don't care about the framing anymore. Can you throw guys out? And if so, come on up. I mean, this has been one of my ballywicks for a long time. Like I feel like the second you have that automated ball strike system, catchers are going to gain, are going to have a faster pop time because they won't have to hold the ball for so long. Like they won't be trying to fool the empire. They'll just go. Right. And I, that was one of the things that Wilson Contreras has been doing done his entire career is that he, he's willing to just throw and then he doesn't frame the ball as well. This is great stuff. Y'all should check it out. It's really helpful. And the next question I have for you, Jason, in terms of how you use this data um, because this is where my mind goes with it. Mm-hmm. Does it recalibrate your expectations for what you're looking for in a pitcher as you're looking on the waiver wire? Because like I have, I spent like the first month of this season feeling really bad that I just didn't have that three eight ish ERA, and then I decided to just recalibrate and go like, well, all of a sudden a dude who has a four point three ERA is much better than I thought he was, and I should feel comfortable streaming that guy, even though I never was before. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what it comes down to. It's all about context, you know. As I said earlier. This season, at this point, the average starting pitcher ERA is 434 and the whip is 131. I mean, we haven't dealt with average rates like that or average ratios like that for starting pitchers in 10-something years. You know, we've been spoiled. Uh, you know, even, even back in the peak of the bouncy ball in 2019, things weren't this bad. Uh, and now it, you know, now they are. And again, it comes down. Then you have the problem. Of, can you hold runners? Well, if you can't, you're screwed. Uh, so that's where it, if you're looking on the waiver wire, like, oh, man, that guy's got a four ERA and a 128. Grab him. He's better than league average. You know, take your <laughs> chance. Take your chance with him. So, yeah, it's that's really what it comes down to. Uh, you have to start taking that look. You have to accept that this is the way it is. And and. You know, when you have a guy that's doing so well, it's like I looked the other day, I, I tweeted out a chart like there were 18 qualified pitchers that had ERAs of three or, or lower. Uh, wow. And you know, like, hey, which ones of these do you think are believable? Like Bryce Elder's in there. Uh, and I've seen him. pitch. Justin and, Steele, <laughs> Marcus Stroman. Yeah, I mean, I've Stroman, I, I watched him, you know, one hit the race. And thankfully, Wander Franco got that flare hit because, you know. There were years where they were always getting no hit, but he was absolutely dominant in that game. It's like, man, that's the Marcus Stroman. I'd love to watch pitch when he's on like that because he can just carve dudes up. Uh, but yeah, that's you know, that's what it comes down to. And so you have to just you, 
you can't be picky. I know it's like, oh, this guy's got high. So, yeah, honestly, for me, it's like, does he pitch for a team that can get me a win? Uh, and right. one of my leagues, I'm on an AL only, and I'm str- I'm last place in wins. I've got a good pitching staff. I'm like third, third in ERA. I'm second in whip. I'm fourth in strikeouts, and I'm last in wins. And I'm looking at my team. I'm like, oh yeah, I got pitchers from Detroit, and like I got Michael Lorenzen and um, Matt Boyd. So Matt Boyd's giving me the strikeouts. He's killing my ratios. Uh, but then Lorenzen's got awesome ratios, and he's got okay strikeouts. But he, they, neither of them are getting any wins. It's like, oh yeah, that's why I have bad wins. So it's like, honestly, the, the my first decision point with the pitcher is like, can he get me a win? If he's on a good team, fine. You're like, I don't want, yeah. You know, oh, hey, Oakland's calling up this guy. So you know, oh, right. Kansas City's putting this guy in the rotation. So uh, and Kansas City is one win ahead of Oakland right now. One. That's uh, unbelievable six, to me. <laughs> two weeks ago, they were six games ahead of Oakland. They are now one. Uh, and so we may be talking about the new worst team in history um, if um, Kansas City. Now, the Rays are playing Oakland for the next four. So, I'm, you know, I would like for this little streak to stop. Uh, but, you know, it's Kansas City is right there. They are terrible. Uh, but fantasy relevance, you know, they've got they've got relievers that are going to be moved uh, and it may impact your your favorite team's closer situation um, or elevate. Like if you've got Scott Barlow, um, all of a sudden he may go to a team that needs a closer. There are, there are a few that need it. I had one share of Scott Barlow and I have already dropped that share of Scott Barlow because it was a saves and holds league. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Um, One other interesting finding in your articles, this is from a uh, June 2nd, you do the state of the statistics, which I love. I I just dive into these numbers and think they're really great. You have some really interesting findings about BABIB here. And part of the reason I think these are so interesting is because BABIB is not a stat that we look at all that frequently for like changes. We look at it for, for being static. But with the rules changes this year, there are some changes in BABIB. And, and as you know, in this piece, the... um. BABIP overall is down about 0.7%, but more importantly, the BABIP for starting pitchers and the BABIP for relief pitchers is in different places. So while the BABIP for starting pitchers is down a bit uh, from the start of the season, the BABIP for relief pitchers is up about the same amount during the same time period. I'm wondering if there's anything specific going on with starting pitchers and relief pitchers there, or if that's just noise. I think it's just noise. I mean, You know, all of us, as we started playing fantasy baseball or started, you know, getting into the research around it, you know, we were always so conditioned that BABIP was 300, you know, strand rate was 70% or left on base percentage, however you want to call it. And, and BABIP was 30%. That was it. And, and, and all pitchers couldn't control it. Well, you know, they kind of could, we figured out they, they kind of could do, uh, do some things, but on the whole, again, with the, with the law of unintended consequence, when everybody was talking about, I remember reading articles oh, these defensive changes are going to be put into place. We're going to see batting average jump by 35 points, and we're going to see this. And, yeah, that's not happening. The league-wide batting average is actually down, I think, a point uh, heading into today than it was over this time last year. So none of that's happening because, yes, there are certain guys that are doing better as pull-handed left-handed hitters, but that opposite field, that giant hole they used to have if they mishit some things. Like, go back and look at Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel Lowe. Go look at his batting uh, spray chart last year he had a bunch of soft contact to the opposite field that went through his hits because there was nobody there now there at least is somebody that can get over there now not to say that he's not having a good season but that's there's a reason why he hit 302 out of nowhere last year uh and he doesn't have that opportunity to do that this year uh to that so it's it, it and it's a big wash there were a lot of you know a lot of prognostications about what was going to happen with batting average what was going to happen with this the only thing that stuck is steals 
Um, steals are stuck, and that's and that's hit the that's helped the offense overall. But the ball's not flying. Early on, we saw it flying all over the place, and then it kind of quieted down. Uh, and we haven't seen the weather warm up, so we don't know what the summer could hold in play. Although it does feel like the last five or six days that balls are flying again. Um, I want to take a look at the numbers again this weekend uh, to see where it is, but it does feel like the last few days the ball's flying all over the place again. Um, so we'll see where that goes. But uh, the, I'm not I'm not expecting the league to start hitting 270 again. Uh, at 245 to 250 feels like it's we're we're, we're going to be at the end of the season again. What's really interesting about that to me, and admittedly, this is anecdotal. I have not done the deep dive on the stats of this like you have. I I feel like the dudes who hit for average are hitting for higher average. Like Luis Arias last year's 350 hitter. Now he's flirting with four 400, right? You know, like a Nico Horner can go up from being like a 260, 270 guy to like a 290 type of guy. But it feels like there's there's a bump for the dudes who already were really good at putting the ball where they wanted it to go, but there's not a corresponding bump for the guys who like sell out for bull side power. In fact, it's almost the opposite. Like Kyle Schwarber is his his batting average. If you have him in a average league as opposed to an OBP league, is probably killing you, and you're just mm-hmm. like praying he hits enough home runs to make up for it. And it's not just him, right? Like it feels like the the pull side guys are not getting that bump that we thought they were. And that's part, and that was part, it's a great point uh, by you. And that was part of Eno's article too, is, you know, the, the emphasis now, now that we can, a pulled fly ball is still the most beneficial batted ball that there is. And if you're going to go for that approach, the downside of it is it leaves you a little more prone to strikeouts. Uh, And so that that comes into play as well. But I, I I agree with you that players that could use all fields could still use all fields. They can still hit the ball where they want to do it. Uh, and nobody does it better than Arias. Uh, it's it's awesome to watch what he's doing this year. And a lot of it is just like soft contact. Oh, you're going to pitch me there? Flip. I'm going to hit it there. I'm going to try to do that. So, yeah. Uh, and then other guys, you know, you look at like Francisco Lindor. Go look at his pull chart. And it's a little weird because he's a switch hitter. But like everything, there's so much that are right down the line on both ways. Isak Paredes, you know, the next home run he hits the center or right field will be the first one of his career. That dude is up there trying to hit a pulled fly ball every single time. Uh, and he's doing, he's driving in a bunch of runs because of the traffic that's on the bases in front of him. But some guys are, are, are doing that. So it is, um, you know, the more baseball wants to change itself, the more it stays the same. I mean, it is, there was a lot of lamenting. I think Joe Sheehan said it best recently. It's still the same game. It's just happening a little quicker now. It's still a lot of strikeout. It's still a three-true outcome sport. It's just happening a little quicker now. We don't have as much time in between innings. We don't have much time in between events. It's just it's a it's a faster-paced three-true outcome game uh, with some steals mixed in. But it is still we still walk a lot. We still strike out a lot. We still swing and miss a lot. It's just happening at a at a better pace. It's a really good point from Joe. And I wonder. I mean, any change that you would see for, in that over the over the game of baseball would have to take place over a long term, right? Because Everybody has been drafting for the three true outcomes ball game that has existed for, I don't know how, how many years now that people have been drafting that way. It just seems like, you know, and Arias is a unicorn because of that. He, he's not the most common type of player right. in the game. And, you know, how is it a game that could eventually have more guys like Mark Grace who hit 310 for their career average and never struck out more than 10% of the time? Perhaps, but you're probably five or six years at least away from a draft class that would reflect that. Yeah, it, it gets back to the uh, point. I think Eno and, and DBR and the rates and barrels talked about it a few weeks ago. 
you know, one of the things you could do, like when they were talking about pitcher injuries, well, tell these guys not to throw with max effort all the time. It's like, good luck with that. You know, it's like, oh yeah, please. I'm good. If I could throw 98, I'm going to try to throw 98. I'm not throwing 92 uh, until my body says, you know, you're old. This is what you got to do, but you can't tell a hitter to go up there. Hey, I want you to hit for average. Guess what? Average doesn't pay in arbitration. Okay. Average doesn't pay in, well, unless you're the White Sox, you want to buy Andrew Benatendi uh, and give him 565. But, you know, it doesn't, or 580, or whatever, it was ridiculous. It was a bad contract and it's playing out that way. But uh, point stands is like those things don't pay in arbitration. There's no big dollars in hitting for average. There just isn't. Uh, and so it's you get paid by run production. Uh, and in arbitration, for those who don't know, is like three people who sometimes don't even know baseball sitting in the room and being convinced, oh, okay, yeah, that guy's a good hitter. I, yeah, you should pay him. Uh, so it's it's a old it's an old process where it's all about comps. Uh, so like with Luis Arias, how do you comp a guy like that? Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. But other times you go to a case, it seems like a slam dunk case and they lose. So this until you change the way players are incentivized, I don't know how you're going to change the way they hit, how they approach hitting right now. 100%. That is the highest contract in the history of the White Sox, Andrew Benintendi, for you, which incidentally is more of an indictment on Jerry Reinsworth and the White Sox than just about anything that I could add here. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing these statistical outlooks and deep dives. Um, I'm going to end the show on the question that we always end the show on, which is what is one piece of advice that you might give to a new-ish fantasy baseball player as they look to maybe make the leap from their home league to the main event or, or trying to add in some more competitive leagues? Uh, best advice I can give is seek a lot of inputs, but at the end of the day, it's your decision. Do not ask other people to run your team for you. Get the advice and look at it. Try to synthesize it at the end of the day. Make your own decisions and learn from them. You may be right. You're going to be wrong a lot. I mean, look, the best pro the, the best projection systems are still wrong 30% of the time. We said it even on this podcast. Look how many you – know, there were people out there saying the league-wide batting average was going to be 270-something this year. They're about 25 points off. Uh, so even the best will make mistakes, but there's no, there's no crime in getting as many inputs as you can, but do not ask other people to run your team at the end of the day. It's your decision because if you're just, if you're handing that work off to somebody else, you're not learning anything and you can't become a better fantasy player by doing that. It's really excellent advice. And one of the things that I find is I make, I try to make different decisions on different teams sometimes. Like if I have the ability, I wind up with a lot of the same guys on the waiver wire. I, you know, I play Dubon in this team and I sit mm -hmm. him in this team and I play Edmundo Sosa in the other team. And I, I just sort of play around with it to see what I can learn. And that makes me a better decision maker later. Like there are some places where I have some teams that are not doing as well as I would like them to this year. I still have time to recover and I, and I will, but uh, you know, that. I'm learning from those decisions too, right? Like the decisions where it's like, ah, I really should not have invested in that particular player at that particular moment. I've been watching Joey Gallo on the IL in one of my leagues for a while where I need power and I just, I, I can't bring myself to drop him. And at the same time, I'm like, do I really want to play Joey Gallo in this situation? Or is there somebody else who can get me some home runs? Yeah. Um, but I think that making those decisions for yourself makes you a better player for later. And I really appreciate all the work that you do. Um, like I said, follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Collette. He's always sharing all of this. Like his Twitter feed is just like a ton of great statistical insights and outlooks. And I learn a lot from Jason's insights. I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me on. This was fun.
Time flew by. Look at that. <laughs> I know. It always does. There's like seven other questions on the rundown. And I'm like, yeah, we're not getting to any of those. That's totally I saw fine. About but... Cody Hewer. I'm like, or Hoyer. I'm like, are we going to ask? God? I loved that guy last year. And then he got hurt right out of the gate. I'm like, no. Okay. So Cody Hoyer. And if you stuck around to this end of what the fab, then you're going to get some, <laughs> you're going to get some free tips here. I think Cody Hoyer is the missing piece for the Cubs bullpen right now. They currently have two guys who are in the circle of trust in Mark Leiter Jr., and Adbert Alzali, but they're missing a third, which means that the only time that the Cubs are getting saves for you is if Marcus Stroman or Justin Steele or Kyle Hendricks, who knew Kyle Hendricks still had it in him, go seven plus innings. They go eight innings because mm -hmm. they only have two guys in the back of the bullpen who are getting outs consistently at the end of ball games. And anytime somebody is done in the fifth, they don't have enough guys to get, get from the sixth through the ninth. I think Cody Hoyer gives them that guy. He's throwing in Iowa right now. He's having a few command issues, but he's hitting 100. And I am I am here for Cody Hoyer to return and rescue the Cubs bullpen. Yeah, it's it's funny you say lighter because uh, I was at that game Wednesday where he gave up the five spot. You know, he, he got lit he, up, yeah. Yeah, he got lit <laughs> up. Uh, but with, with Hoyer, uh, it was – so it, I write the bold prediction series at Rotowire every year, and I pick a hitter and a pitcher from every team. The last two years for the Cubs, I picked Cody Hoyer last year, and he got hurt in spring training. And this year it was Jeremiah Estrada. Uh, so yeah, those, and I, I still believe her, but, uh, I loved what Hoyer did and he got hurt in the middle of camp, right? Uh, no, he got hurt. He was hurt in the off season. Uh, and when he got acquired. So when you said he was having some command problems, honestly, that's not, uh, that's not surprising. Yeah. That's always the last thing that comes back from Tommy John him hitting a hundred. Uh, his surgery was 14 months ago, 14 or 15 months ago, him hitting a hundred, not surprising him struggling with command. Yes. It is the last thing that always comes back for these guys because of the time away from the game. Pitching is a feel activity. Um, and when you're away from it, your command's always the last thing to come back. So, you know, I say this, if like, if you're listening to this and you're stashing like Andrew Kittredge, like, Oh, he can come back. Jason Adam has not been well. Peter Fairbanks hasn't been well. Yeah, I, you know, I've got Peter Fairbanks in 15 teams. Trust me, I know. Uh, when Kittredge comes back, it's going to be a command problem too. So that's that's always the last thing that uh, comes back. But I loved what I saw from Hoyer uh, closing out the 2021 season. Uh, the stuff's there. And if he can get the command, like he could jump right into that high leverage situation in the back end of that bullpen because uh, he's got nasty stuff. Uh, and I, but need to see what it looks like post-surgery. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that when the Cubs dealt Kimbrel to the Sox for Hoyer and Madrigal, people were kind of focused on the Madrigal part of that because they knew who he was. I actually was focused on the Hoyer part of that because I thought that was the Cubs trying to like just sneak in their closer for the next five seasons um, on the back end of that deal. And I still think that's what they were trying to do. It's it's gotten complicated a little bit because Alzali has really emerged as a dude who can lock down an inning or two for you at the end of the game. And he doesn't have the lefty splits issues that he had as a starter coming out of the bullpen. But even with two innings of Alzali and an inning of lighter, you still need another dude back there. I think that dude is Hoyer. I have um, some shares in a handful of leagues. I have them for like $1 in auto new. I am really stoked to see what happens with Cody Hoyer when he hopefully gets called up and he was eligible to return as of June 5th. So it could be any day now. Yeah, he pitched. So I'm looking at his, his game log down in Iowa. And he's basically pitching every three or four days. So he pitched on the third, the sixth, the eighth, and the 11th. Gave up three hits in an inning, uh, faced six batters. Uh, did get a strikeout. So it's like he's been pitching on a regular basis basically every three days, every three or four days, depending on the schedule. Because, you know, it, for those who don't know, nobody plays Mondays in the minor leagues. It, Monday's a travel day. And so it's like sometimes that'll skip through. But he's been here. And uh, 
I don't know how long the rehab assignment has he been officially placed on a rehab assignment because that means he'd have a day to come back. That's a, 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 he had a his uh, return date was June fifth. His okay. like eligible to return date was June fifth. So I honestly, I think if the Cubs are playing some winning baseball and it looks like he could come up and make a difference, they would call him up. The other thing that could happen is they just leave him in Iowa until they make some trades and then he comes up for the second half of the season. But either way, I think that Cody Hoyer is going to get some action and probably some saves uh, for the Chicago Cubs before the season is over. Yeah. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm intrigued when I can, I didn't draft him anywhere. Obviously you're not going to take somebody you don't know when to come back, but it's like with NFBC players, especially if you are in a 15 team mix, like TGFBI later, it's like when he comes up, give me a dollar or two in that waterfall bid if I lose out in somebody else, I'll, I'll take a run and see what happens. But he, uh, he's he got good stuff. And I'm excited to see him back in the Major League level when he gets back up. As am I. When Cody Hoyer comes back up, you will hear about it here first on What the Fab. Make sure you are following the show at, at What the Fab on Twitter. Make sure you're subscribed to the show by searching for Fans First Sports Network Fantasy Baseball. And we you will get what the fab plus all of our other great fantasy content there. You can follow me at at BCB underscore Sarah. You can follow Jason at at Jason Collette. Thank you for joining us and we'll be back next week.